Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. My biggest piece of advice is to not let fear hold you back from what you feel you were born to do. Hold on, hold on, repeat that, please, and loud. Yep. Okay, I said, um, my biggest piece of advice would be that you shouldn't let fear hold you back from doing what you were born to do. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome to episode 62, where I sit down with Cassie Schmidt. Cassie is focusing on coaching for women, business owners specifically, and she now has a new program, which we're going to post in the show notes, which is some group coaching. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. For those of you that are not huge wine fans, you'll probably want to fast forward about five minutes into this conversation because Cassie and I get real granular about our favorite uh, types of wine. Uh, Probably could have done a whole show just on uh, our favorite favorite wines. We hope that you have a great day. We hope that you will sit on back, sip your favorite beverage, which we hope is a a glass of wine, of course. And uh, just remember, life is about events supported by your dollars and cents. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now onto the show. Take it away, Amy. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is Cassie Schmidt. Cassie is a leader in her industry, and I just can't wait to dig into the details of her business and her passion and her path. And also, I understand Cassie is as much of a wine enthusiast as I am. So Cassie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, We were introduced by one of my colleagues, Matt Fazell. He is on our team, and um, he thought that you and I would have lots to talk about around the topic of wine, but also about your business and some of the things that you're doing, especially in the space of women, right? Um, So before we get into um, the meat and potatoes or the grapes, as I like to say, Mm -hmm. I'd love to know... um, because anybody that's listened to the show always knows that I think life is like a vineyard, right? And that we're all developed and um, we all have different flavors based on the influences that we've been exposed to. So I like to know what your favorite flavor of wine actually is. Okay. So this is really funny, actually. So from the beginning, I've always been a huge Cabernet fan. Um, But before we got married this past year, I realized that Cabernet makes my teeth like super purple after just one glass. And I'm like, oh, I can't have this for pictures. So now I've kind of trained myself to love Chardonnay as well. So I think it's pretty an even split for me now. It just depends on whether it's hot outside or really cold and I'm cozied up by a fire. Do you have a particular brand that you enjoy the most? So I really do like decoy as a Mm -hmm. go-to. But if I'm enjoying like a really nice bottle of Cab, I really love um, Del Dotto out of Napa Valley. That's not one that I'm familiar with, but I am familiar with Dequay. So um, yeah. And I think when you and I were setting this conversation up, I said, oh, if you like Chardonnay (laughs) um, or Cab Francs, try these particular ones from our region because they're very enjoyable. (laughs) Yeah, I still have to put those on my list and try them out. 
Well, thank you for sharing that little tidbit. And for people that are trying to learn more about wine, you can look both of the the favorites up that Cassie mentioned. Um, most states now allow wines to be shipped um, from them if they want to try that. But a lot of decoy you can find in a lot of the um, retail stores as well. So yeah, it's not a bad price either. So no, and we like we like good wine that's at affordable price <laughs> market <Thank> prices. <laughs> Sometimes I actually put, you know, I'll go into like one of the big, um, retail wine retail stores. I'm like, all right, we're only going to buy wine that is $12.99 and cheaper. <laughs> oh yeah. So I don't know if you've ever been to Total Wine, but my husband and I just got one, um, near us recently and they have that like pick six thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I love this. You get like 15% off if you get those types of wines. So it's, oh yeah. Yeah. And they have the, if anybody is, does have one near them, they have the, um, I think it's like staff picks and they do a pretty good job actually of picking out some of those wines. So yeah, I, we do, I'm definitely familiar with Total Wine. In fact, I'm pretty sure that they know me by name. (laughs) Oh yeah. They know that we buy like a case at a time every time. And I'm like, Oh, we probably look so terrible checking out, but (laughs) Hey, if you can save a dime by buying some good wines, then, you know, that's, you know, in volume, then that to me is, you know, it matches my enjoyment in life. So um, I'm all for it. So for listeners that are like, I'm not a wine drinker, Amy, get to the point. (laughs) Um, I would love for you to share um, what it is, what, how your vineyard has formed. So, you know, there's the beginning stages, the development and the aging process. So take us back to, um, well, tell us what you're doing right now and then take us back to sort of how that came to be. Okay. Well, how much time do you have? I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> um, I am a business coach for women now. I specifically like working with female creatives just because that's kind of how I identify. Um, I've loved photography for years. So after trying to, you know, run that as a full-time business and realizing that maybe that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do all of the time. It kind of took some of the enjoyment out of it for me. Um, I tried other different creative endeavors and just really identify with those types of Mm -hmm. um, entrepreneurs. So that's what I do now. Um, I think, I guess, going back, I think the reason I also identify with those creatives is I, I sometimes think that creative people tend to be a little odd, um, which is definitely how I identify as well. I was always the kid growing up that just didn't really fit in, was not the popular kid, which was okay with me looking back. Um, and it really wasn't until I graduated, left my small town and went to college that I felt like I really kind of found my place. Um, so in college, I worked with this company that I had the opportunity to actually create an entire branch of their company and had all of the responsibility at 18 years old of doing sales, hiring people, um, and really getting my feet wet with the entire process of starting and running a business. Mm. And when I succeeded at that after the first two years, I was given the opportunity to coach others um, like Matt that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. And that's where I really kind of found my thing, you know, where I felt I belonged. I've always been the type of person that has loved helping others and being able to coach them in business sense and empower them and help them through their struggles is where I felt, wow, this is me. This is where I really fit. Um, And a couple of years after that, I I took a step back from that, a different position with the company really wasn't working out for me. I was really unhappy, really anxious and realized, you know what, I've got to go back to my roots and do my own thing. So that's when I went into those creative endeavors um, and did many different things. And then again, kind of came full circle and went, nope, back to coaching. This is where I belong. So that's where I am now. And and what made you decide that you wanted to work? I mean, when you talk about women creatives, I mean, that's a very focused group of people that you're going to work up, work with. What made you decide that specifically? Like what, what, why was that grape, the one grape that you decided to love so much? (laughs) You know, I did, I kept opening it up and I would, you know, I don't know if your listeners are super savvy with Instagram, but I would change my Instagram bio. Like I changed my socks 
like today I'm going to say female entrepreneurs in general. And then what I would find is when I spoke to women who were specifically photographers, graphic designers, bloggers, writers, you know, those types of creative outlets, I just got so passionate in talking to them that I kind of felt like I was doing these other women like a disservice by not feeling that same way in these conversations. And so with the women that I was really connecting with, I was like, you know, there's a reason I am. And it's because for a few years in between leaving, you know, that position that I mentioned before and really getting back to coaching, I struggled through a lot of the different business problems that they are now. And so I think there's that relatability I feel with them where I get so excited and go, I totally hear you. You know, I know exactly how you're feeling. Let me help. Um, That's really there with the creatives that maybe it's not even that the personality of the other um, business owners doesn't fit with mine, but rather I just don't relate as well to their struggles. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to hear what you call creatives when you were describing that just a moment ago, because um, I wouldn't have ever considered myself a creative. But when you threw in like bloggers and podcasters, I'm like, oh, when did I become a creative? Because I'm about the most black and white individual (laughs) you will ever meet. I am about regulations and numbers. And, you know, yes, I have compassion in there, but I wouldn't have considered myself a creative. So it's interesting your definition of creative. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes people like underestimate that creativity inside them as well. And like I said before, even just in your podcast and listening to, you know, a few of them before this one, you are very creative in making ties to vineyards and, you know, like you said, grapes and things like that. So I think people underestimate their creativity sometimes, or maybe just kind of take it for granted. It's just, oh, this is just part of how I talk. And it's like, well, no, that's, that's creative to me. And when you talk about coaching that goes along with that person that, you know, that I'll call it a Pinot Noir grape. (laughs) Um, When you talk (laughs) about coaching of those particular individuals, um, what, what do you find? Because, and I guess why I'm going to this question is that, you know, particularly that you're focusing on women, because one thing that I have found is that, Um, I really, I love working with couples and I love working with all of my clients. But when a new client comes to me that happens to be a woman, specifically like, you know, an attorney or an engineer or another woman that has, uh, they understand how challenging it is to work in our profession, not in our specific profession, but in a profession that is male dominated Um, and, and the struggles that kind of come with that sometimes, and there's this unspoken language that exists. I know what they're going through because I've, I've lived it my entire career. And it's, it's not something that we need to talk about, but I know it's there. Right. And, and so some of the financial planning things that I do with them are because I know that that's there and it doesn't even have to be discussed or talked about in any way, shape or form. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying is that you, when you start working with someone in that arena, you, you can relate to what it is that they're, they're saying without even them telling you, right? So sometimes we don't know like what we're struggling with. So when you talk about coaching, because I think we do a bit of coaching too, when you talk about coaching, what would somebody maybe perceive coaching is and what would you hope that they think it is? Oh, this is a good question. Um, I think maybe they would perceive, well, thinking through different coaches in the industry, and I'm not talking, you know, ill of any type of coaching, but I think a lot of people perceive a coach as someone who tells them exactly what they need to do. You know, sort of like a football coach that's going, go play this play. I'm going to teach you this play over and over and over. And then, you know, you memorize it and you go do it. That's, I think, the perception a lot of people have of when I hire a business coach, they're going to tell me exactly what I need to do X, Y, and Z every day. And while there definitely are coaches out there like that, that's not really the type of coaching that I would hope that they're seeking out. Um, When I talk to people, I'm very upfront with them about how I'm never going to tell you exactly what to do. Because what happens is at the end of our duration that we're working together, you're no better off than you were when you came to me. And so I always tell people, you know, my style of coaching, the coaching that I feel is most beneficial is the type of coaching where that coach challenges you. They ask you what you think before they give you any of their opinion or answer. You know, you guys work through the the 
questions or the issues together because what I find is most often the women have the answers inside themselves. They just need help finding it. Um, And then we work through it. And yeah, there will be times where it's a really technical question. It's easier to just go, actually, you don't know this. Let me teach you. But I think really the difference between maybe like a teacher um, would be like giving you the information and letting you or helping you learn it versus like the coaches, let's dig for the information together and really make decisions together so that you're more empowered to do it without me in the future. And I love, I love what you just said, because although they may come back to you from time to time to time, the confidence level of their decision-making once they get to that point where they've learned that skill just increases enormously. But there's always, it's kind of like financial planning. I can get you through a financial plan in about six to seven months, but guess what? Life happens, things come up and you're going to need somebody to bounce ideas off from at some point in time in the future. So if I've coached you properly on your financial plan, you know when you can make those decisions on your own and when you need somebody else to bounce some ideas off from. Absolutely. I love that you're doing that. That is so exciting. So, um, you know, tell us about, (laughs) I mean, obviously you've shared your story on how this has become your passion, but as a kid, you know, what, what, what was the journey in even leading up to this kind of career? Okay. So like I said, I was kind of the odd duck growing up, excuse me, Um, the odd duck growing up that just, you know, was always creative, kind of marched to the beat of my own drum. In some ways, it was hard to make friends that way because I was so different. But um, from a very young age, I was obsessed with drawing and Mm -hmm. I mean, even coloring when you're super, super young, like that was my thing. Um, But then when I was nine, I was introduced to my first digital camera. And I'm like, wow, I love this. And I became obsessed. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was 16, I was like, so determined I was going to be a photographer. I was already running my own business on the side, um, you know, on the side of my summer job. And I was taking senior pictures and I was making athletic. How old were you when you were running a side job? I'm sorry. I to interrupt. No, you're fine. 16. And you were, you were doing a side hustle at 16. Yeah. Um, I actually... I actually, this is kind of a funny story. I was supposed to be saving money for a laptop for college. And I told my mom, I want to use this money to buy this digital camera because I know if I get this DSLR, I'll be able to make enough money back to buy the laptop, but then I'll have the camera too. And she's like, okay, go for it. So that's what I did. And from that moment, like, you know, the difference between going to my job, which was housekeeping, which God bless housekeepers because that is one of the worst jobs ever at hotels. Um, you know, going from that to then in the afternoon getting to do a session with a senior who at the time was like older than me, um, which is funny to think back of now. Um, you know, doing that session, it was this freedom that I was like, this is amazing. And so I think from then on, I knew I'm going to run a business. It's just a matter of what exactly that business is that has changed. So it was photography going into college. And I really do accredit the change to that program that I was in in college of running a different type of business and going, well, you know, now that I do pictures, it kind of burns me out. You know, it's I'm passionate about it and I love it. But when I made it like my only full time thing, it kind of took away the fun. Uh, And so that's when, like I said, I kind of worked into that program, grew completely different type of business, um, more construction based actually. And then did the coaching and it was like, this is, this is where my fire is. You know, I can so relate to like the misfits and the people who struggle. And I think that, like I said before, there's two things that have really rang true my whole life. I love creating or being creative and I love helping people. And I think coaching allows me to creatively help people. So I love, I love that you're doing that. And I love the way you're focusing on it, but I have to go back and I didn't mean to interrupt you when you were explaining it, but you were 16, you started your own company and you know, I hear, I hear that. And I think, all right, there is a direct line of entrepreneurship there, right? So you did that at 16, you were, you had this forethought of, well, if I take this money and I 
buy this camera, then I can actually earn more money to pay for the laptop. So was that something that your family taught you? Was that something that as a kid, your, your parents, I mean, no, first of all, the parent, the fact that you had to save for this laptop, but it, you know, where did that come from? It's funny that you asked that because I talked to my husband, he's an entrepreneur as well. And his mom, you know, used to run different little businesses. And so he kind of saw it from her, but I don't know where I saw mine. I don't think, you know, my parents were both extremely hardworking, but other than my dad's, like my dad would help people fix their computers or, you know, recover lost data or things like that on the side. But like, it wasn't a formal business, but I just saw, you know, my mom was in management. My dad kind of did those side hustles. So maybe that, but I've never really attributed to that. Like I said, I've always kind of marched to the beat of my own drum. So I think part of it is that I was just really stubborn and didn't want to work for someone. Like I just wanted my freedom to do what I wanted to do as bad as that sounds. But um, yeah, I don't know that it was really like my parents. I know that's a huge influence for a lot of people at that age, but I think it was more so feeling that support from my parents that like I could do anything more matched with the, the stubborn, stubbornness of like, I just don't want to work in this terrible job. It really is disgusting anymore. Um, that kind of pushed me to do it. That's amazing. Did your parents, um, because you were working um, to save money for the laptop, but did they t- talk to you? I mean, where did that come from? Like, where was the you have to save money for this laptop. Was there money conversations around your home when you were a kid? You know, it's, I was thinking about this recently as well. And I don't know that there were like sit down conversations about how to spend or save money or anything like that. But it was sort of this oddly known thing in our house that, that our parents didn't have a lot. You know, it wasn't like, I don't ever remember being the kid at the store that's like, I want this, mm-hmm. right? I just knew we didn't really have a lot of extra, so I didn't ask for a lot of things. Now, obviously, when I was really little, I'm sure I did. But as I grew up and kind of became more aware, um, I just knew my parents worked really hard for what they had. We didn't have a ton. Um, and so it was just one of those things where I didn't ever really want to ask them for things like a laptop for school. Now, certainly like my mom helped me and my dad helped me considerably when I first got to school, but I don't even think that they said, Hey, you have to buy this. It was just more, I want to help mom and dad. I don't want to put this pressure on them. So I'm going to just earn the money myself. You know, they helped me with every other expense in high school. So it wasn't like when I got my pay from work, I couldn't save it. You know, I could save it for the laptop. And so I just did. I kind of think I took that independent responsibility because I didn't want to put a strain on them. Sometimes I think that we hear, you know, as kids, um, we hear things that we don't know how to process and it does develop us later. I, uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times with other guests, but I, I did an interview with my nephews. Um, it was episode 50 and they were, they were with us when we were down in Florida this spring. And I asked them like, I've never directly talked to them about like how to spend money or anything like that, but I've always been, I've always had little bit of tips that I've shared with them and we don't give them like necessarily things, but we fund like a stock account that they can pick the stock that they want to own. And we um, have a 529 plan for all of our nieces and nephews. But um, I asked them, what has Aunt Amy taught you about money? And I had no idea what they were, how they were going to respond. And one nephew said that there's not an unlimited that yeah that there's not an unlimited amount of it. And I was like, oh, wow, I mean, he was ten, so pretty good in my opinion. And then the other one said that it doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> but both, you know, kind of got the concept that there is an there isn't an infinite amount of money. Like we have to pick and choose how we're going to spend it. And, and that might come from observation, even if discussion doesn't take place. So a lot of times when parents are saying to me, how do I teach my kids about money? I'll say, well, act like you would want them to learn. And it can be that simple. Like, you know, that they just monkey see monkey do is a true statement when it comes to 
financial habits. And so maybe there wasn't a direct conversation with your parents, but you saw certain things. And I, as I was listening to you explain that, I'm thinking, yep, I can see where you're, you know, in the limited time that we've known each other, how you're, how that influenced you. So I think that's, your parents should be proud. <laughs> yeah, they, and I, I love them very much. They're, like I said, they've always been super supportive. And it's funny because when you said that um, your nephew was like, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. It's like, oh my gosh, I totally got taken back. And I'm like, yes, that was absolutely said so many times. But, you know, it's those little things that you don't really realize that you pick up, but you totally do. Um, so you're right. I think that they were more examples of, for the most part, you know, practical spending um, that we picked up on. It was just throw money around. Yeah. Don't throw money around. And that is, I think when we're thinking, uh, you know, when, again, when I hear people say, well, how do I teach my kids about money? Going back to the vineyard is pretty easy to me to say, well, what kind of influences are you um, sharing with them? Right. So is there, are you dropping rain like it's no tomorrow or are you actually saying, look, you know, we're going to get a, a small amount of rain and we need to, we need to make sure that we, um, we preserve that for the, the nutrition of the roots. Right. So I know I always right. go back to these winery re- references, but I, I think it's, it, it's talking to kids about what resources and, and how, what influences are, are around them that make the biggest impressions over time. So is there any advice that you've received that um, you think is really good that has, has guided you and has guided your vines um, in the right direction? Sort of. Um, It sounds really obvious, but I still see people that struggle with this, even in, you know, my immediate circle. Um, But I think from a young age, I just learned not to spend what you don't have, which, like I said, sounds so obvious. But my parents did get in pretty hot water financially a couple of times. And so I looked at that and went, oh, I don't want that to happen. And they, you know, in that regard, they would be kind of open about what was happening. It wasn't like we sat down to have conversations, but we could see the conversations they were having and knew this isn't good. Um, but I would say that as, as, like I said, as obvious as that sounds, not spending what you don't have is the best advice I've gotten. Because I think in this world of credit cards and consumerism and feeling like you have to have all of these things to be Instagram worthy or perfect or, you know, show off, it's really tempting to just buy things that you can't afford or do things you can't afford. And that's where I think a lot of people get into trouble with this credit card debt and things like that. So that's probably the best advice that I've maybe not directly been given, but definitely been taught. Mm, Good advice. Is there any advice that you've received that it, I, I don't like to say worst, but maybe wasn't the best for you? Um, kind of goes along with the same idea um, a little bit because when I did work in that position in college, there was sort of this pressure to keep up with the Joneses. And it was like, well, you'll make the money later. Sort of like count your chickens before they hatch, which is like the opposite of my mentality normally. But there was this pressure to do that. Um, but other than that, I think that it's not necessarily bad advice. But one thing that I was kind of taught is hoard your money, you know, save it, put it away, but not really invest it. Like investing is something my parents really didn't do. And so, you know, just learning from even Matt over the last couple of years that maybe just setting your money in a savings account isn't the best thing to do necessarily for all of it, especially if you're accruing quite a bit, you're not getting really a good return on it. So I would say, again, not necessarily direct advice I was given, but just the idea of like, put all your money away in a piggy bank and just let it sit probably wasn't a great behavior that I learned. Do you think that that's something that, um, 
let me ask this question differently. I was going to say, do you think that is a gender thing or a generation thing? That's a great question. Um, I don't see. It's funny because I think my brothers are more like spenders, but I don't, I don't know if that's just like a, I don't want to generalize, but I think sometimes girls are just tend to be more responsible at a young age. So while I was putting birthday money in a piggy bank, they were blowing it on baseball cards. Um, but as adults, I don't know. It, it seems maybe to be more of a generation thing. And I don't know if it's maybe from distrust of banks in the past from their parents or what, but I would say that, you know, my parents didn't really think about investing until recently. Um, where I think it's been made more of an understandable topic. And I think when people are afraid of something, they avoid it. And I was guilty of that. Like I always say that I'm financially illiterate when it comes to like investing or stocks and bonds. I'm like, break it down for me, like real simple. Um, so I can understand it. But the more I understand it, the less afraid I am of it. So I think there's just, it's not even that they did anything wrong in the past. I just think there's been more education about it publicly that people can get their hands on to make it less intimidating. Well, there's, so there's two things in there that I just sort of want to kind of map off from one is that, um, I don't know if Matt told you this, but I am on a mission this year to, um, eradicate that fear, especially now in all people, but especially in women, because the, the women that I have talked to over the course of my career, they're, they're very good at um, finance, actually. They're, they're willing to receive education about it. They're willing to ask questions about it. I don't ever get the statement, um, I feel stupid for, or rarely get the statement, I feel stupid for asking this question around any other financial topic except investments. And I'm curious, I'm curious as to why people feel that they should know more about that when they have not been educated about it. You don't learn about it in school or very few schools teach it. Um, so why is it, why, why is this mentality that I should be educated about investments, you know, go through people's minds? And, and then the alternative to that is, and I just don't know if it's because women are willing to admit it or what, but um, the alternative to that is that, you know, I, I'm afraid of that stuff. Like that stuff scares me. I'm not going to touch that. And the, every time I hear that statement, I'm like, come on, sister, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to go and I'm going to teach you the basics of investments because in today's world, Cassie, um, and I'll get off my soapbox in a moment, but in today's world, our market is so efficient that there are such good index funds out there. And I'm not giving specific advice here, but I'm just saying that as a profession, I think that we've created this fear in a way um, that it is, it is putting a barrier up. Like we need to rip that barrier down and say, you know what? Investing is actually pretty darn simple. It's stocks, it's bonds, it's, it's, um, cash. I mean, those are the three primary categories. And because the mutual funds and index fund um, ETF funds out there now are so efficient at putting the package together, you really just need to know which fund or target date that you should invest in and go with that. Right. And I'm not, again, I'm, I'm, I know there's circumstances out there that may be very different, but we need to take that complexity off the table. I do not believe that I have the capability of beating our market performance. So I'm going to save you just, you know, the, that spiel about invest with me because I can do a better job. I don't know when the market's going to correct. I can see certain signs, you know, that might exist that say we might, we are going to slow down. But if I knew the date that, that was going to happen, I would be wealthy. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not saying that we can't add value to educate around the investments, but what I am saying is that I think as planners, we have a responsibility to 
take that fear off the table and say, look, there are so many other things that could mess with your finances, you know, that, that, um, would be a bigger impact in your financial health than an issue that we can't control, which basically is that stock market. We, we cannot control it. So maybe that's what creates the fear behind it. But if you look at the, you know, any rolling 30 year period, um, you know, it's the, the stats are there of what's going to perform better and, in a balanced portfolio particularly can help with that. But not to, I don't mean to get on a soapbox on that, but I, whenever I hear like somebody saying, you know, that I just, the worst advice was that save money. Yes, that's great advice, but fear stopped me from investing. I just think, what can we do as financial planners to change that? How can we break down that barrier? I think just from an outside perspective, like I said, I'm not, I'm not really, f- so I'm really good in terms of budgeting finances, right? Things like that. My lack of education comes from, or understanding rather, it comes from the stocks, the bonds, you know, what does this really yeah. look like? And, you know, in the last year, when my mom started investing, I went with her because she's like, well, you know more than I do. And I kind of laughed at her like, okay. Um, so I went with her and I did learn quite a bit. And it's like I said, I think the big thing is like information is power. And what makes it scary is not understanding it. And it's funny because it's the same thing when I coach people in business. It's like, I'm so afraid of this. They say that all the time. Like I'm what, you know, what if this or what if that? And it's like most of their fear just comes from the unknown. Absolutely. Once you do it, it's you're going to be way better off. And it's funny because I even posted something this morning about this podcast. I'm like, you know, it's my first podcast interview. It's okay to be a little nervous around it, but like you're only fearful because of the unknown. So go do it and then you'll be better off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'll have to look up your post. I didn't realize that you posted something this morning. That's great. But I do, I want to point out something. Knowledge is power. You made that comment, right? Knowledge is power and money equals choices. So I think one of the things that, you know, maybe we need to get better at is it making sure we get that knowledge out there so that that fear wall does get ripped down and, um, you know, that women know and, and men too, I don't mean to be that, you know, they are important and, and uh, I do enjoy working with them, but I just find the barrier to be so much and, and statistics show this too. When you look at studies, like, you know, men as a gender are willing to take more risk and, and I'm not all men, I'm not trying to, <laughs> you know, but, but that is true where, where, um, there is something in us as women that we tend to be a bit more conservative in nature, but when we're educated, we're all in and we're willing to make those decisions once the education is there. And I, I just, I'm always open and I'd love to hear from people on how do we educate more? Like, do I need to do a podcast on what's a stock, what's a bond, what's a you know, mutual fund and, and the basics of that? Because I will do that every day of the week if, you know, if that breaks that barrier down. So um, I didn't mean to go on and on and on about that, but thank you for sharing what your journey around that is, because that certainly may open the door to other people to profess that they too have that same fear. And if we can come together and uh, figure out a way to communicate well to bring that fear down, then, you know, I feel like I'm succeeding in my mission. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, and it's fine. Don't worry. I don't consider it a soapbox. It's just like when people are passionate about something, it's hard to stop them. You know, like they just want to make a difference. So, but, um, but yeah, now that you say that, I do think it's, it's funny. You think men typically do take more risks. So I'm with you on that. And I do think in terms of like educating, yeah, I think a lot of people, no matter what industry you're speaking about, have a tendency to maybe take it for granted their zone of genius, if you will. So like, what's really obvious to you is super confusing to me. So breaking down something into really small, like bite-sized pieces helps me be, you know, less afraid of it, like breaking down stocks or if there's different types Mm -hmm. and things like that, it Mm -hmm. may seem really obvious or elementary, but it's helpful. 
Well, I think I have an idea for a future podcast then. <laughs> okay. Um, Cassie, what, you know, you, you help a lot of people, co- you coach a lot of people. Um, and, and that, you know, that you, I'm sure you ask them, what is, what is it that they want to get out of the coaching sessions that they work with and what's sort of their definition of success in that relationship. But I'd love to know what your de- definition of success is both personally and in working with a particular client. Okay. So my success personally, and then success working with that client. Yes. A, a client. And you know, what is your ideal um, sort of outcome in working with a client? I think they're pretty much one in the same. Um, and I kind of expand on that, but I, my, my mission sort of is I've never been someone that needs to be the million dollar entrepreneur simply because I live really simply. I don't know what I would even do with a million dollars, to be honest with you. Um, probably give it all the way to family, but you know, I, I don't. And so I've never been that person that's like, let's kill ourselves working, totally missing life just to earn a ton of money. Um, I've never really understood that mindset. So my mission is rather, you know, you're successful when you get to do what you love in a way that sustains your financial and time freedom and makes an impact on others positively. And that's true in my own life. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm never going to be that coach that takes on so many clients at once that I really am not making a difference for them. And when I teach others, I think they reach that success when they feel just happy, that their business isn't like the number one thing in their life, their life is. That's their focus. Their life is their focus. Their business supports it. Um, and I think that that, to me, would be the level of success. And whether that person needs a million dollars to make that work with that time and financial freedom or whether it's a hundred thousand dollars or 50,000, it doesn't matter. It's just, what is it for them? That's going to sustain the lifestyle they're looking for. Well, you've probably heard me say then life is about events supported by your dollars and cents. And that is Mm -hmm. exactly what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. See, you say it so much better and more succinctly. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you, but I'm just, you know, like when, when people are thinking about, you know, I've never had somebody come back to me when I've asked this question about definition of success. Not one person has said to me anything about particular finance. Like it's not about money. It's about life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I remember the very first podcast I did, it was actually with my mom and we were live and we were sipping on a bottle of um, rosé wine. And I said to her, mom, what's your definition of success? And she said, I'm looking at it. Oh, and oh people gosh. that know me know that I'm not much of a crier. And I all like, you know, I looked at her and I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, she, she went on to also talk about her grandchildren and, um, how much, you know, she loves them and, and that's her definition of success. But it was just like, you know, we're not one of those families that's like all huggy and mushy and, you know, lovey. And so for her to kind of, you know, for her to say that and to say it so quickly, it was it was huge. And for me to know that I made my mom proud like that, like that was my, at that moment in time in life, that was a huge definition of success. So these are, you know, those are things that I always like to know where people are coming from, because I think if people are like, like, let's say somebody's looking for a coach, you know, and they're listening to this podcast, they just got an understanding of who Cassie is. Right. You explaining your definition of success. And if you ever need a kick in the pants, you can go back and listen to this <laughs> and say, wait a minute, I've gotten way off path here. This was my definition of success and I need to get back to that core value. So right. what would you say is, I mean, I think I know the answer to this. You may have already given it, but I just want to reiterate what really feeds your soul. And because you've talked about how charged up you get about coaching the right people, let me rephrase that and say, what refreshes your soul? Hmm. So it's funny because my brain sees those as two so different questions. Um, but I think if I really had to put my finger on it, it would come down to 
just relationships. I've always been the person to tell people relationships are the most important thing in my life, whether it be a faith-based relationship, relationships with my, my family or my friends or my husband, relationships are who I am. You know, that's kind of how I look at life is like, you are who you love sort of. Um, and so I think when it comes down to it, what feeds my soul is those relationships, but what refreshes it is being able to make an impact in those relationships, whether it just be being there for support or coaching someone to a different level, you know, depending on the relationship. Um, that's what makes me happy. That's what drives me um, and what refreshes me. And a good bottle of wine with those relationships, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So in closing, um, well, two questions, actually. Um, If there was one piece of advice you could give to listeners, um, either around money or if they're seeking a coach or both, um, what would that be? Okay, this might be a long piece of advice, not super long, but um, my biggest piece of advice is to not let fear hold you back from what you feel you were born to do. Hold on, hold on, repeat that, please, and loud. Yep. Okay, I said, um, my biggest piece of advice would be that you shouldn't let fear hold you back from doing what you were born to do. Um, There are no guarantees in life. And I watched my parents work in positions for 20 years and get let go, and they were the most loyal employees. And so I think a lot of people that come to me have this misconception that, leaving their job is this enormous risk, but in reality, they have no control over whether or not that job exists a year from now or 10 years from now or whatever. And so everything comes from a risk. You need to understand that. And when you do, you know, ask yourself, can I live with the possible outcome of the path that I'm on? And if the best thing in your life, you know, that you can conceive in your, you know, exact situation right now is that it doesn't change and you're okay with that, then fine, stay there. But If you're not, if you think of yourself 20 years from now and you're unhappy with where you'd be if you stayed on this path and you need to change something, because like I said before, life happens once it's, you know, life is what it's all about. Not the job. It's the life. Or as you would say, you know, the events. And so I think my biggest piece of advice would be if you have something that's nagging at your heart and it's not going away and you want to do this thing. Don't let fear or your circumstances be the thing that holds you back. Because at the end of the day, it's always a choice. I, I really hope that people, the reason I had you repeat that is because I really hope that people take that to heart. I will tell you for years, I kept trying to find that perfect company that would let me do what I was good at and passionate about. And I was terrified to go out on my own with a big capital T, (laughs) terrified. Mm -hmm. And when I finally pulled up my big girl pants (laughs) and I went independent, I was still scared, but now I'm unemployable. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't, never be able to go back into that world. And the best thing I ever did was create my company and, and do what I'm doing right now. I'm helping people in so many ways, both through my business, through public service, through the financial planning profession, you know, and some of the young women that I'm coaching and hiring And I would not have been able to do any of that if I had let my fears stop me. So I am so appreciative that that is your recommendation and your piece of advice to listeners. And if you are afraid to do it, because I think if I had hired a coach to talk through some of those like, well, what's the worst that could happen conversations, Mm -hmm. I probably would have done it sooner. Yeah, I think, I think we have a tendency to overthink things on our own. And, you know, the best analogy that I've heard, actually, because as a coach, I have a coach. Um, one of the best pieces of advice is, or no, pieces of advice, 
but um, analogy she gave was a coach is like the lifeguard on the outside of the pool. And while we're drowning in the pool and we're freaking out and we're panicking and we really can't understand what's happening around us, it's our coach's job to pull us out of it and go cut it out. Um, And so I think just remembering that your passion is your purpose on purpose is really important and it's not, it's not going to go away. So you just really have to ask yourself what's worse, the fear and just like avoiding that fear for a little bit. Like I said, it's not ever going to completely go away, but it definitely diminishes or living your life in a way that you really didn't want to. And then looking back and going, Oh, I wish and to me that's way worse. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I I'm hoping that none of our clients, yours or mine ever use those words. From the time that yeah. you started working with us forward, I'm hoping they never use those words. Yeah. Same. Cassie, it has been a pleasure um, chatting with you and and, and um, getting to know your background and your passions. Um, so the final closing question that I ask everybody is we, we heard your favorite wines in the beginning, um, but, and we heard that you love to share a good bottle of wine and it feeds your soul with, with relationships, but what's the favorite food that you like to pair with your wines? Okay. So my husband makes fun of me for this because he's like steak and, you know, Cabernet, there's nothing better. And I'm like, I don't like steak and Cabernet. I would rather have steak and milk. Um, (laughs) but being a true Wisconsinite, I think that the thing that just makes me so happy and my mouth is watering thinking of it is just a really good cheese spread, Mm -hmm. you know, some smoked Gouda, sharp cheddar, Parmesan, and a glass of Cab. There's nothing better. Yeah, some smoked Gouda. Yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> so good. It is. And if you get the real creamy cheesies, um, those Chardonnays, especially the oaky Chardonnays, are definitely a good fit as well. So in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to start like learning the cheese bird with the Chardonnays. I'm not as good at those, but the cab, I've had years of experience. So we've got those cheese boards down. <laughs> That's fun. Thank you so much for being on the show, Cassie. We really appreciate it. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to reach out? Um, probably I'm most active on my Instagram. Um, so the handle for that is at simply Cassandra Jane. So S-I-M-P-L-Y-C-A-S-S-A-N-D-R-A-J-A-N-E. Perfect. And do you have a website at all? I do. It's very simple. It's the same thing. So www.simplycassandragene.com. Perfect. So if anybody is interested in some coaching, they can reach out to you, see if you guys are a good fit and take it from there. Sounds great to me. Thank you so much for having me. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.